Right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good, mate. I'm, I am shattered, I've got to be honest. I'm, <laughs> cr- I'm crawling to the Christmas holidays. I think <laughs> if I was a player, I'd definitely be getting my fifth yellow. I would have planned it when I advanced and <laughs> got my fifth yellow suspension, giving myself an extra week off. Yeah, I think I'd definitely be doing that. It's uh, probably going to be our our last episode before before Christmas, I guess. So we should uh, definitely say a, a big happy Christmas to all the listeners. Possibly last episode before New Year as well. So uh, happy New Year to all the listeners as well. Uh, you may have seen on Twitter that we were talking about a uh, a watch along that we did on Monday this week for Sporting versus Porto. There wasn't too much pre-game analysis on that it was all a bit uh bit informal but um as part of our uh, patreon page um we host a monthly watch along for a Premier league game uh every month and this month it was sporting versus porto massive game and we had uh, quite a few of our uh, our longball football socios in attendance and um it was a really great event so a big thank you to everybody who who came to that and uh if it sounds like something that you'd be uh you'd be interested in then you can get involved by becoming a longball football socio on our Patreon page. It's just one pound a month, um, and there's a link in the description of the podcast to uh, to where you can do that. Yeah, it was, I mean, we were quite lucky with the, the Monday night game, weren't we? I mean, mm. Sometimes they're not as uh, <laughs> um, not as good. Yeah, well, no, not as high quality of teams, but you, we do get some good games occasionally. Mm, um, yeah. and I guess we should also mention we're, we're starting a, a preview show which is Patreon's food is exclusive as well and that should be coming up um, before the weekend's action going forward so if you want to um, get hear that um, release from us as well make sure you get on the Patreon yeah and maybe just before we move on this is a good time as it may well be our last podcast of 2023 to say a big thank you to everyone who listened this year um and as you may have heard us mention the the patreon page before if you are someone that has listened to the podcast in 2023 and you've enjoyed it and you want to get uh, even more involved and give us a little bit of support at the same time um definitely check out the patreon page like i said it's one pound a month or I believe one euro is 50 or two dollars US dollars uh, a month. And the uh, current Patreon offering is, as Barney said, a new weekly preview podcast where we preview all the games for the upcoming weekend. Um, it also gives you access to our monthly watch alongs, which are really great social events uh, that we hold on Zoom. And, and you can chat to uh, other Premier League of football fans and ourselves and watch a game live. Um, and the the main event, which I think is probably the most popular part of our Patreon page, which is the weekly predictions league, where you predict all the results for the weekend and get points based on correct results, correct score lines, correct goal scores, all that kind of stuff. And we keep a uh, keep a tally of of uh, the the, uh, the top scorers in the league. So it's um, all very exciting. And uh, to be honest, it's also just a great way of supporting a DIY podcast. Uh, that you enjoy listening to. So if you enjoy listening to the show in 2023, definitely check that out. Uh, and we appreciate everyone who's been listening um, and getting involved. Uh, but Barney, I feel like we should crack on and talk about some football. We're going to talk about the two big games from the weekend because um, as is well established now, it was a, a, a massive weekend in the Primera Liga. Two Clasicos in 
one weekend, which uh, was very exciting. Um, the first of the two big games uh, happened on Sunday, and that was Braga versus Benfica, a game which would have seen either side go top of the table temporarily. Uh, it ended 1-0 to Benfica after a goal in the third minute by Kasper Tengstead. Uh, that turned out to be the only goal of the game, despite both teams having multiple good chances. It's one of the biggest cliches in football, but for me, it was definitely a game of two halves with Benfica dominating the first half and Braga dominating the second half. Uh, but in the end, it was just that one goal which separated the two teams and saw Benfica go four points clear of Braga. Yeah, it was a in in really interesting game. I think... Um... It was fascinating listening to the, the previous show you did with um, Tom Kunda and um, Patrick because um, there were some really interesting takes from both of those. Um, which I, I agreed with. One thing I thought that, that didn't come up, which I had in my head as perhaps being really important, was the fact that Benfica were away. Um, I think, you know, everything that's gone on with their Champions League performance and their, their, their recent results, um, drawing friends at home, you know, I felt like there was real negativity building, and and I think the fact that they are away would have, yeah, definitely had an effect on this result, and also the early goal really did help them. Um, I mean, one of the most interesting things I took from this game was the the possession stat, which, um, looking at Benfica's um, stats for the season, you know, their their highest um, possession in the league was a, a game where they got sixty nine percent possession. Their average in the league. Uh, up until now is 63%. And then the lowest they've had has been 51%. But in this game against Braga, they finished it with just 37% possession, which is a real change for, for them, like obviously for them. You know, they're a, a very different game than what we usually get from them. Um, and that's sort of credit to Braga because I thought Braga, like you said, had a really good second half. And perhaps, you know, even I maybe go as far as saying, well, well, almost the better team had it, but not been for some heroics from from Trumbin. And I think defensively, you know, Benfica did quite well. I thought, as I met Trumbin, it was Trumbin got man of the match, didn't he, for his saves and some really tremendous saves from him, real high quality. Um, Silva and Otamendi looked pretty good, but it was those, those fullback positions where Braga were getting joys sort of in between them and finding space between Alsnes and and, uh, and Morata and the centre backs, and I think specifically in the league. That's something that Benfica can get away with, you know. Like the the Braga are probably one of the best attacking teams in this league. You know, they're, they're not going to have faced too many opponents where that's going to be much of an issue. So, you know, that 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 sort of all, all worked out, and it's a big result. It's a, it's, it's a a huge three points. You know, you, as you as you you all mentioned on the previous show, you know, this this can really sort of potentially be a launching pad for Benfica in the rest of the season. Um. um and uh, and Braga as well, you know. Even though Braga can take pride in their performance, I think it was. It also feels like a lost opportunity, right? Because ultimately, points points are what matters. And and, and um, yeah, so it's it's uh, yeah a big win for for Benfica, and a, but an interesting performance from them. I think one of the the most interesting conversations that we had on last week's podcast with with Tom and, and Patrick was um, who can afford out of the, the top four teams. Who can actually afford to lose to lose their game? And and those guys seem to be suggesting that that Braga could actually afford to lose this game more than any of the other teams because their season might not necessarily be defined on on whether or not they they they, they win or lose this game. 
definitely this, the feeling was that Benfica could not afford to lose this game to drop behind Braga probably poor time sporting and 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 after you know such a difficult time that that they've had recently that that for them losing this game would have been absolutely disastrous I have to say I think I don't know maybe this does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity for Braga because obviously it was it was a very difficult game they went behind very early which I think they would have been been disappointed like I said three minutes in and, and they go behind um but they were very competitive in in the first half and completely dominant in the second half which was uh, quite impressive in in terms of like you say having a significant amount of possession over a team like Benfica but ultimately they end up getting nothing out of the game because they couldn't score part of that obviously like you said down to fantastic goalkeeping performance from from Trubin in the Benfica net very commendable performance his best performance for Benfica and um, really really saved the game for them but I also think it's fair to say perhaps that the quality of the chances wasn't wasn't quite there the quality of the finishing perhaps wasn't as good as it could have been. I mean, you look at some of the chances that fell to to Simon Banza and and he perhaps wasn't at his his most clinical. They weren't necessarily real clear cut chances in in the manner that I think Benfica had had two of and, and scored one. Um so I think you, you you possibly can say that that this is a missed opportunity because I, I I agree with in a sense that perhaps Braga didn't need to to necessarily win this game. I think even a draw just to to keep that points gap between them and Benfica down to one point would have been um would have been a would have been a very good result and 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 kept them in the kind of top 3 top 2 even in the title hunt uh, much more than losing does which sees them so they're four points off the off the top spot now and um it just feels a bit like you know they they're back exactly where they were at the beginning of of this weekend and and they haven't gained anything and you know, I, I'm not. I'm not actually trying to criticise Braga. I saw some people. You know, the problem with I feel a bit sorry for Braga because they do get a lot of criticism after losing big games like this. People say, "Oh, they're never going to be a, a, you know, they're never going to beat the top three if they can't win these games. They're never going to win the league if they can't win these games. They got losers mentality, all this kind of stuff." I don't agree with that assessment at all. I thought they played a really, really good game. As you said, that is kind of indicated by how how much they dominated having a football in this match and maybe if they were just a bit clinical maybe if Trubin doesn't save one of those chances the result would be very different but um, yeah I thought it does you can't help but think it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity to get absolutely nothing out of a game in which they were very very competitive throughout and it was um, it was brought up on the the Monday Night Football we did didn't it the the games they've got in January Braga which is in the new year Um, Victoria home uh, Benfica away, Porto away, and Famalicao Callaway for four games in a row that you don't really want to have. So, you know that that points difference could become a little bit bigger if they drop points there. Um, go back to Benfica, Albert. I just wanted to talk about the strikers because I think Teng said, who's got a, f- a few starts now uh, and seems to be in favour with um, Roger Schmidt. Um, obviously, took his goal very well. Nice, cool finish. Um, Obviously, they're a bit fortunate from the mistake from Braga, but they they capitalised on it well. Um, and he had he had a decent game, you know. You know, he he, he works hard. He makes good runs. I think he presses well. Um, and I, it was interesting hearing Patrick describe Peter Moose as much more of an impact player, which I'm I'm now inclined to agree with. Although I did I did sort of favour him originally. I still have soft spots for 
Arthur Cabral, and I really hope he comes in because if you look at his minutes to goal ratio, it's really good and he clearly can finish. Um, and Benfica had their opportunities in this first half, you know, to, to extend the lead. Jao Mario had a great opportunity at the beginning of the second half. But once again, their lack of finishing has let them down. And, and it's, I, I, I think it's a, a little bit of conundrum, you know, working out what's best for you. You know, you've got the, you've got the perhaps the mobility and the movement of Tangster, but then you've got, you've got a, a striking Gabriel. I, I, I really think could, could do a job. I saw this tweet on uh, uh, Twitter that I, I, I thought summed up Benfica's um, striking problems really well. Um, it was from Bruno Francisco, who's a great follow because uh, for his opinions on Benfica. Um, and he said, Musa, um, talking about Peter Musa coming on, but essentially coming on just to be another person to defend. And he said, ben Benfica was unable to produce an offensive game in the second half that suited its strikers. And I think that's a really key point, is that it does feel like that's one of Benfica's real issues. And you think about Gonzalo Ramos and the way he gelled with all of that those attacking players, you know, be it Jao Mario, Rafa, it all just seems to work seamlessly. And then, you know, but this season, the story really has been a question of them finding a, a, a game plan that suits the person up top, because it just feels like that's where the issue is. They've got so these these different strikers have come in um, and they just haven't been able to work out how to get the best out of them. And um, they, like I said, you know, they, they, they did well defensively, and but those misses in this game, you know, could have cost them. It could have quite easily, you know, been a draw or whatever. And we could be having a completely different conversation. So, yeah, that, that it just feels once again like this striking position is just not not sorted out yet. Well, I think that's why I liked Tangstead's performance so much because I feel like this shows real promise of being the striking option that could work. And I think it's, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very interesting to see that Roger Schmidt now seems to be Putting his faith in in Kashmir Tengsved, he's think I think he started the last three league games. Um, he scored against Sporting in the league. That's an important impact. He was um, important to remember as well in the Champions League. Their last game against Inter. Um, I know they didn't get anything out of the game, but he he was really important in in a couple of the goals there. And I think what you mentioned as well, his kind of pressing uh, abilities is what could really make this work. And I think. Not only was that kind of how the, the the goal came about, but also how other good chances came about, and he was um, uh, he was very kind of important in 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 that aspect of the game. For me, definitely his his most impressive performance of the season so far. Um, he looked the most comfortable in leading that Benfica line, and than I've seen him in any game, particularly in the first half. And I think, it, you know, it is like <laughs> we've talked about so much about Benfica dropping points because they can't put the ball in the back of their net. And I think having a a comfortable and confident striker up front could could make a, a big difference as we're about to come up to the second half of the season. And, you know, it, we've talked so many times about different teams, Benfica, Porto, even Sporting and Braga to a less extent, but sort of dropping points and, and the issues that have affected their season all the while, forgetting that we're not even halfway through the season yet and there's an awful lot of football to play and there's some really big moments to come. And I think um, Benfica still, to me, look like a team um, where if they can improve some of the players that they've got available to them, if uh, they can kind of settle into being a more com comfortable, more confident team, then there's still a very, very big second half of the season to come from from Benfica for me. And and um, the other player that I thought was 
signified that as well, actually, in this game was was Kochu, who I thought had one of his most effective games at central midfield. We've spoken about him playing deeper and, and whether that's even the position that he should be playing. It's not the position he played for Feyenoord. But in this game, he did it very well. Obviously got an assist for the goal. Good stats overall. He had 86 pass possession. He had two key tri- chances created. And like I said, I think this is going to be a key factor for Benfica if they're going to kick on and improve as the season goes on. Can they persist with some of these new signings? Can they get the best out of them? Because if they do, like I said, I think they've still arguably got the best squad in the league. And I think a performance like this, not only the importance of three points to keep them in the, in the title race, but also a positive performance against a very good team in which they were very competitive shows that you know this season is is by no means over as some of the more kind of hysterical fans might be be shouting after a few bad results. There's a long way to go and, and this team really still does have a great chance of, of, of gelling and, and performing at a level needed to be very competitive in the title race. Yeah, and we should remember, you know, that their games against the big teams, they've all got results. In. And, you know, those those at the end of the season can be incredibly important. So, yeah, this is a, is a good result for them. And then it just, it, some people might see it as sort of papering over the cracks, but I think it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, they're going in the right direction now after a little bit of a stumble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Let's talk about the other huge game from the weekend and Barney. And obviously the only question after Benfica's win was whether Sporting or Porto would themselves get a win to, to leapfrog them and go top of the table. Um, the stats that I liked before this game, Barney, was uh, about Sporting who hadn't beaten Porto in the league in something like their last six meetings. Um, but I thought they went into the game with better form and they definitely made that form count in what was a comprehensive 2-0 win and a very dominant performance over Porto. Uh, Porto, who, of course, were reduced to 10 men when Pep was shown a, a straight red card for striking Mateus Reese in the face shortly after the start of the second half. Um, but despite that, I thought they just looked flat throughout. I thought Porto lacked ideas. I thought he went down with a bit of a whimper, which is something that we don't usually expect from a Sergio Conza south side. Um, but it allows Sporting to go top of the table yet again, a position it feels like they've had to fight for uh, quite a few times already this season. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with these these two teams and these two managers you know, who've faced up against each other quite a few times now, um, quite often these games are sort of defined on um, moments of drama, perhaps, you could say, um, and perhaps this one it does as well. But I think what, you know, I don't think we should kid ourselves. You know, I think Amarin very clearly won the tactical battle in this in this game. I thought Sporting were had such a good game plan. Um, you know, and and it's and it's funny as well because as I mentioned, you know, they played each other quite a few times. I was it the third season that um, was is it fourth? Sorry, Amarin and Conscious Health come up head to head, both very rigid in their tactical styles you know we don't often see much flexibility from their formations or their or their you know what, what the, the sort of teams they put out so but in this game we saw I think the I think the the, the way Amron's complete vision right and I think that's mainly due down to the the inclusion of Kresma in that back line right which came as a, a bit of a surprise some people Kratos was out injured wasn't he so 
Eduardo Cresmo comes back into the sporting lineup and played an absolute blinder at right centre back. And it was his it was the moments where you know he would get forward. We also saw Anasio getting forward from that centre back position. Even Diamonde through the middle occasionally. And and it, and that just and that just they built from that. You know they were so aggressive. They were so hot, quick to the press, not afraid to make runs. Um, Galeno and Pepe were completely silent, you know, they, because of the way they were able to double up with the left one back, the centre back getting close to them, you know, it just worked perfectly, and they were they were they were so good. I I think Albert they could have easily scored more, you know. Think of all those opportunities where that the right pass wasn't made, you know. There was there was a, Edwards open or Pedro Gonzalez, they were breaking through so often, and, and there was they were wasteful in the, in some of those moments. So um, it was a really really great display from the sporting. I was absolutely gutted. Um, Charisma's assist for the Jokeres' uh, um, second goal in the first half was ruled out. It was just a travesty. You know, seeing the tears from him, the sort of the emotion from that moment, the, the crowd, um, and for that to be taken away by a ridiculous VAR decision was such a shame because, yeah, that was a really special moment. And I think Charisma was a, just had an absolute blinder. I mean, he, he, he kept Galena silent. He won all his battles with him. Had a great game, so hopefully you won't feel too bad about not getting the assist. Because uh, yeah, he, he he was fantastic, and I, I like I said, I think was really key to this this the way they played because it just gave that bit more dynamism to the the, the three centre backs, which I think was really effective. I mean, what a time to put in the biggest performance of of your career so far. It was, and it came completely out of nowhere. And uh, the funny thing was, you know, we were we were watching the game, um, and you know i forgot that he'd started and for the first like 20 minutes i was looking at this defender making these great tackles trying to like squint my eyes thinking who was it you just made that tackle was that inasio but it was um it was a roller christmas having an absolutely fantastic game obviously that uh vr decision is one of the most talked about decisions in uh of the season so far terrible decision in, in our book really really disappointing that that goal was uh that goal was disallowed but it doesn't take anything away from like you said um Fantastic performance, and 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 this game was, you know, as these big games often do, did have a number of big decisions. And I think what's really important to say is that, you know, these big decisions, these dramatic moments, quite often they can, you know, they can be very distracting. They can, um, they can hog a lot of the 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 discussions. I think the the really really key point to make in this game to hammer home is for me, whether or not that goal is disallowed. Whether or not Pep is sent off uh, by VAR for a red card for hitting Mateus Reese in the face, whether or not Sergio Cosasau and, and Ruben Emerim uh, square up at the end of the game and have a bit of a, a scrap post-match, none of that takes away from the fact that this was a comprehensive performance from Sporting who comfortably uh, and credibly beat Porto and they were better than them in every single position on the pitch. This was a very one-sided game. Um, Porto never looked like getting anything out of it. I think every single sporting player was better than their opposite number on the pitch. Um, and I think it was, you know, a real indication of of where these two teams are at. I think for sporting, it was a case of coming into this game with, with great motivation, great self-belief, um, playing in a, a style of football that the players are comfortable and 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 confident in, um, they've got one or two star players on the pitch like Vitiokares, who was again outstanding. I thought he showed why he is the best player in the league at the moment. Went toe to toe with Pep throughout the game, well throughout the first half, 
um, beat him, beat his man for the first goal and, and really had Pep's number throughout the whole game. A number of great performances all over the pitch. Hulman being a, a great leader at the back. Eduardo Koresma takes the headlines, but Diamande and Inacio are also excellent. Even Adan in goal had his moment with, with a great save early on. So I think, you know, the, the real take-home message for me is that I completely agree with you. Um, not only should it have been 3-0 because uh, the VAR decision should never have ruled out that goal, but it could have been 4, could have been 5. Um, and if I'm being, the only criticism I might have was I was disappointed with uh, Ruben Amarim's insistence on bringing on Francisco Trincao and taking off Marcus Edwards, despite the fact that um, I think Marcus Edwards is in great form and, and there's no need to rest him. There's no need to give uh, Trincao, who's in poor form, um, any more minutes. So that's the only blot on the, the copybook uh, for Sporty for me. But uh, yeah, like I said, I just think this was a... Um, the uh, the perfect performance at the perfect time for sporting. I I do think they they still. It's not really an issue, is it? Because they're they're getting results and they're winning games. But I I just think that front three could feels like they could gel a bit more. You know, like the, I like I said, there was countless times. You know, it felt like there was like four or five opportunities where they, they those three were on the break, maybe three against two or three against three, and there was a pass to be made, but the, the wrong decision was made, and they they didn't went went. Just yeah, I think that they were a bit wasteful in those moments. So I, I think there's there's more to come from them. You know that that, they, that sporting could be on another level. That those those three really started clicking. Um, I think Jenny Katamo as well had a decent game right wing back. You know he, he that was a I thought that was an interesting um, person to bring in, particularly when um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that was a, a, an interesting option that Amron went with, um, and that 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 definitely paid off. Oh, but Porto, I think is a I, I mean there's I've seen so many people's opinions on, on Porto and Conscious Sal and it's, it's, it seems hard to say because he's obviously been a fantastic manager for Porto and, and, and done an incredibly good job but I also think a lot of his bad decisions and a lot of his calls have now culminated into this situation right where I think they're in a really sticky situation and I think you can look at several things uh, like you literally just text me that Karma has been relegated to the B team and I can't help but think about the player that Como could have been when he arrived from Braga and seeing someone like Pep completely get the emotion of this game wrong. And it doesn't feel like that's the first time that a Porto team have got the emotion of the game wrong, haven't been able to read the refs, you know, just let themselves, just lose it, if you see what I mean. And that comes from Pep, then that comes from Contra Sal, certainly. And they were, they were, top of the table like last week weren't they uh, like so maybe I'm making too much of it but it, it's I don't know it, maybe it leaves it just leaves a bit of a bit of taste in my mouth seeing seeing all that drama of conscious sound and and, and see, just seeing a really a Porto team who really had nothing to offer I mean it, when they went down to 10 minutes towards the end of the second half they they pressed a bit higher they 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 got a bit more of the ball further on the pitch but that there was nothing really they, they literally had nothing and and, and it's it's it, yeah, it just it just feels like a really, I don't know. I mean, I'm I I feel like I'm coming across very very negative. I don't know if you agree, but it just I'm it just feels like that was too much from from conscious and, and it's, yeah. No, I I agree, and I think they seem to be doing things almost in the opposite way to Benfica at the moment. Benfica, who have a perfect record against other teams in the top four so far this season, 
and yet they've dropped points against smaller teams like Casapia uh, and Ferenz. Whereas Porto, it seems like at the beginning of the season, we were talking about them scoring late goals and just scraping over the line against the smaller teams and showing, you know, to be credit to them, uh, good resilience and, and self-belief and determination to get wins in difficult situations against smaller teams. But yet they've come unstuck in a, a big game like this against a, a team with 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 quality players, um, uh, team with quality players, um, in a way that perhaps uh, you wouldn't associate normally with a, a Sergio Conceição team, especially Sergio Conceição team who who let's let's remember um, have progressed through the, the, the group stage of the Champions League, so we know they can do it. But it just seems like they've. Um, yeah, the league perhaps they haven't got the same motivation. Also worth noting that they, they it's probably the worst Porto squad um in five or six years. For me, I think the squad is is very, very thin. The defensive situation is really, really troubling. Um, when they're recruiting players from the B team to come and fill holes in defense, and then their captain Pep gets himself uh what's gonna be at least a, a couple games banned for for uh, hitting another player in the face. Um, and then we then get the news today that they're demoting David Carmo to the B team. The situation is is very difficult defensively in terms of the squad. That We've also got a situation where they've got an abundance of strikers, but not any of them seem to be able to score goals at the moment. Um, they've got decent numbers in midfield, and I think that's where their best quality is. But you can't win um, You can't win a league and you can't win big games with basically a good goalkeeper and, and, and good midfielders. Um, you need quality all over the pitch, and, and there are real holes in this team at the moment, which I think... Um, is a real problem. The most worrying thing, perhaps, that I, I felt during this game was about Sergio Constantin himself. I felt he was the least effective as a manager during a game as I've ever seen him, in that he was pretty much despondent and 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 not um, defeated almost pretty early on into the game. I mean, the one key part of that for me was... Pep's red card, okay, it arrives in the 51st minute. Pep is red carded in the 51st minute. Your your talisman, your captain, your best defender. Sergio Conceição doesn't make a substitute until the 73rd minute. They play 22 minutes just down a defender. He doesn't even bring on another defender to fill in the gap. Any defender, I think eventually he brought on uh, Cardoso. But why why is that happening? Why is Sergio Conceição so ineffective during this game. What is it that is leading him to not act in the way that we are so used to seeing him act? I thought this game, and it came from the top down for me, but Porto were defeated pretty much from the moment they went on the pitch, you know, and from the moment where Victor Jokeres gets his one-on-one with with Pep, Pep's not strong enough in the tackle. He doesn't get, he doesn't make the block and then it's a simple goal and from then I thought it was um, they never improved from there. So that it was a very, very worrying performance for me from that perspective and I think there are a lot of a lot of troubling signs for Porto. Yeah, I think I, sorry, I feel like I was maybe overly negative then because I think you make a very it's a, it's a perfect point to make isn't it? that they, they've done well success in the Champions League which obviously I think what's the difference? I think they get around 50, 60 million euros for progression compared to what Sporting are getting, like 15 million euros. So it's a huge achievement. Um, yeah, it just, I think that point you made there, though, about Conscious Sal and the, what it, the, his presence, right? It was just felt a bit different, felt a bit off. And um, yeah, it just didn't really, 
yeah, it didn't really bring anyone. And perhaps that's um, you know, something I think you've made this point before, which I think is a great point that that player like Otavio used to be that player who was conscious out on the pitch, right? Pepe, Pep, sorry, sort of was that, but it, but it obviously brings his own thing and uh, obviously got it wrong for this match. And then there's no one really else. I feel like Stacchio and Vredo, as good midfielders as they are, don't really have that aura, that sort of that drive, that sort of you know, can sort of push a team onwards. So they're certainly lacking a player like that. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's, it's yeah, it's similar to what we were saying about Benfica. It's, an, it's still an early stage of the season. There's a lot of games left to play. I wonder what January will do, if, if, if anything, if maybe it would just be departures, uh, probably, because I think there's still um, their financial issues at Porto as well. So, um, you know, Maybe four months down and they could be playing in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, <laughs> Barney, I would not put I would not put that past them. Would you? Anything can happen with Constantinou as manager. Genuinely, genuinely, we could be talking about them in a few months' time as being the league leaders and being in like the quarter-final of the Champions League. It's that's just the type of team they are. But at the moment, I think yeah, this performance was um, very negative. All right. Well, before we go, we are going to run through just quickly. As there were quite a few interesting results, we're going to run through all the results uh, from the rest of the league this weekend, uh, and then we'll go have a quick run through of the table uh, to leave you guys with a, a picture of how the league is shaping up uh, before the start of 2024. Um, very quickly, then, Barney, let's have a quick look at some of these. Um, Friday night, Ferenc nil, Estrada uh, da Amadora nil. Uh, not the very start to the weekend that we wanted, quite a dull game. Um, probably the less said about that one, the better. A little bit more interest on Saturday then. Um, another draw, but Rio have played out a 1-1 draw with Vizela. Um, some bits of interest here, Fani. Obviously, Boateng scoring for Rio Ave. Boateng is one of the players who is underperforming their XG most in the league. So he's getting a lot of opportunities for Rio Ave. God knows they could do with a goal scorer, but he scored in this one. And you matched it up with uh, Vizela's goal scorer, uh, Samuel Ascend, who can't stop scoring. I think he scored in their last three or four consecutive games. Um, so the scoreline, perhaps not the most exciting, but still, I think there was a couple of interesting bits in this. Yeah, and it was the last game for um, Pablo Villa, the, uh, the Vizela manager, um, who, yeah, I think if he didn't have a send, he probably would have left a few, a few, few months earlier because the send has been absolutely fantastic. And then, was it, did he score a bicycle quick in this game or was that the week before? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he's, Ascend has been a hell of a pickup for them and, and, and a, a very key pair. Um, they've, they've been quick to appoint a new manager and, um, I think Pablo Villa was a Spanish manager under 40 years of age. Um, I think he was 30 something. And they've replaced him with Ruben de la Barrera, uh, a 38 year old Spaniard um, who had uh, a, a pretty decent spell um, at the, the Deportivo La Coruna in, in Spain. But um, his most recent job has been the El Salvador national manager, um, which uh, uh, is, is quite interesting. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, I, I don't know what the Spanish link is to Fazella and hiring young Spanish managers. That seems to be a bit of a thing. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what, what goes on. And, and, and do you know what? Quickly on Rio Abstra, because I think it's it's good you brought up Boateng. He's, he's, he was a really handy striker. Um, I, I, I wonder if there'll be what January will bring for them. They, obviously, the transfer embargo will be lifted, so whether they'll be active or 
reversely, they, they've still got their financial issues and they have to ship out a load of few players. I think Costina's been linked with a few clubs in Greece. Um, you know, we'll, ha- we'll have to see what happens. But it, it it could be a good thing and they're able to improve the squad and push on because once again, they're doing they're doing quite well, fairly well. Um, and uh, yeah, Brazil with their new manager could, uh, well, hopefully they, they get a little boost as well. Yeah, both teams who probably could have done with points and, you know, it's the type of game where... Uh... I don't think a point really helps out either of those teams too much. Lastly, my I just found the whole Pablo Villar situation very interesting because for for those of you who are not aware, um, Vizela, uh, of course, the club of Alvaro Pacheco, their cult figure, um, he was sacked by new man by new owners who uh, brought in Chalipa as the man that they wanted to lead uh, uh, the club. Chalipa was then sacked at the end of the last season. They bought in Pablo Villar, and I think he lasted a lot longer than most managers in with his record would have lasted because uh, the owners seemed to want to justify their appointment of him. But yeah, not surprised to see him uh, leave at all. But they need a big change. Um, next game, Barney Aruka three, Gil Vicente nil. Aruka very much back uh, playing the type of football that we want to see from them under Daniel Souza. Excellent record for Daniel Souza. First four games in charge of Aruka have been three wins and a draw. Gilles uh, Vicente cannot get a result on the road for love nor money. It's the easiest three points in football at the moment, playing Gilles Vicente at home. Um, and a hatchet for, for Rafa Mujica. So, you know, very good for Aruka and, uh, well, business as usual for Gilles Vicente, really. Yeah, Daniel Souza's doing really well. Um, I forgot that he had... Um, so he's, he's the ex-assistant uh, to Andre Villas-Boas, uh, the, the time at Porto, Chelsea, Tottenham and Zenit. Um, and then and then he got his first managerial job uh, as Gilles Vicente last season um, from November to June. So he, he had... I remember doing quite well when he first came. And, you know, he, he got them playing really well. I thought they got a good one against Porto, I seem to remember, but then it sort of faded out towards the end so they, they, they made the change and so this is a another good opportunity for him to to show what he can do um i thought yeah they they you know jason's doing pretty good on that right wing um Thiago's a guy as well is, is i think it's a fantastic player um and obviously you know you've got Christo and Mujica as so your striking option so that you know he's got a good squad there and uh Mujica with a, a great little hat trick is it <laughs> i Probably tweet of the the weekend album was um, uh, Dave the Braga fan. So you say money Mujica, looking <laughs> for that January move. Uh, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, but Gilles Vicente, I think Campolos is in an interesting situation because he hasn't been able to to work his magic, has he? And 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 the games are stacking up now, and we're, we're yet to see that improvement. Um, this was a well, they missed the penalty early on, didn't they? And, and perhaps that could change how the game panned out, but. Um, no, it's not. It's not a good record, and and they're they're not looking great at all. Um, one more interesting game from the Saturday, and this is a really interesting result. Barney Boavista won, Vitoria de Guimarães won, Vitoria. Now, this is a really important point. This is a huge missed opportunity for Vitoria. Last weekend, they beat Sporting in a game they're not expected to win. If they'd won this game, they would have gone one point behind Braga in fourth place. They would have been a point away from breaking into the top four. They go away to Boavista, the team with by far the worst form in the league, who are losing to everyone that shows up. Um, it all goes according to plan. They score a goal in the 30th minute. It's a 93rd minute penalty that gives Boavista a point. It's a huge dropped two points for me, Barney. It's two points lost for Vittoria. And I think 
that's a really disappointing result given what they did last week and the opportunity that they had in front of them. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, with Bovista, if it was just a little bit, you know, Petit's obviously gone. It was the, um, the under-19 manager on the on the bench, I think, for this game. Um, whether there was just a slight sort of a slight release from them or sort of a, a pressure lifted, I, I don't know. Because um, they did well to keep it one 0 and obviously get that penalty to equalise. So that that was it was a target Tiago Moura as well. So that was good. Um, but no, I completely agree with you. I think Victoria had a, a real opportunity here, and uh, that's a really disappointing result uh, for them. And because and, and, um, they've been great, and then Pacheco's obviously improved them, and they're, they're in a they're in a strong position. You know, they really could be, <laughs> look like they could get there nailed on fifth spot for the first time in a few years. So. Uh, um, yeah, but they're, they're looking good still. I'm, I'm not too worried about them. And Boavista, yeah, a lot to worry about And um, despite this point. Mm-hmm. All right. Three more interesting games from Sunday then quickly. Uh, this is one that I would not have predicted at all, Barney. Uh, GD Shavs won Kazapir three. Kazapir have not really impressed me all that much this season. And Shavs, who I feel like are building up a bit of a head of steam with with Moreno as the manager. But it was a really, really big win for, for Casapia. Two goals in three minutes in the first half off to a blinding start. And then, yeah, they end the game 3-1. Goals from Clayton, who I don't think scored in a while. Um, disappointing for Shavs. But, I mean, Casapia, fantastic for them. Because, like I said, I thought they were a team kind of on the down. You know, they weren't really performing very well. Uh, a bit of a lacklustre season compared to last year. But that's a big win, an important win. And it leaves Shavs bottom of the table. Yeah, great result for Casapia. They're certainly adjusting to, um, after the departure of Felipe Martins. They've sort of a, this is a slight switch in formation. Um, the wingers look good in this game. Yuki Summer and, and, and Diaz on the right. And obviously Clayton, I think, is one of these strikers that, you know, when he gets on, in form, he's, he's, he's a really decent striker. Um, so, yeah, that's that that's certainly benefit them. I think they're, they're looking like a, a slightly stronger position. Um, yeah, I, Moreno's still got work to do. Obviously, it hasn't been a, a completely smooth transition, but they're still. I don't know. I still. I still like. I like their their, their squad. Um, the, the quality as well. Sorry, I always talk about him, but he. Got, I think he got man of the match again. I think this is the second man of the match in a row, despite being on the losing side. So, um, uh, another great performance from midfield from him. Yeah, and on to definitely the scoreline of the weekend. Uh, it really jumps out. Moreno's five. Timonens to this game is super interesting, Barney, because until the 84th minute, it was 2 2. Porto Menens were well in the game. They came back from behind twice, I believe, to, to tie the game. And then, yeah, they, they capitulate in the last few minutes. And, and it's a great win for uh, for Morrens. Five goals from five different goal scorers, uh, up to sixth place. They're, they're four points off the top four as well. They're only. Uh, only one point off uh, off fifth. So a great season continues for Morens. Uh, Porto and Enns uh, thought they were in it, let it go in the last few minutes. But uh, yeah, Morens, another big win for one of the league's most exciting teams. Yeah, I'm trying to draw parallels to like previous promoted teams and, and their success. It reminds me a bit of um, Estrell when they first came up and, and, and sort of how everything just seems like absolute click and the brand of football they're playing and, and, and Morin's are yeah certainly that they, they, they're doing excellent it's worth saying out Andre Lewis um, this is his fourth goal in five games he also has an assist in those five games I mean when you look at the goals you know um, two of them were winners against Estrell and Victoria so you know his contribution is uh, is, is excellent and he's um, 
yeah, he's certainly making the, the jump up work this season. Um, Porto Menzo, you know, everyone knows my soft spot for Menzo. I think they're, they're still not that close to trouble, but they're, they're getting closer. Um, but yeah, that was a pretty poor, you know, having got done so well to get themselves back in the game to sort of throw away in the last bit was a bit of a, uh, a letdown. Um, but it's not all um, fun and games of Porto Menzo, but you know, Paulo Sergio will still work his magic, I reckon, and keep him safe. The Portuguese big Sam. Uh, and a congratulations to English winger Sylvester Jasper, who scored in that game. Um, right, lastly then, Barney. Family Cal won, Estoril won. It's an interesting result for me because it would have been tempting perhaps to predict an Estoril win, given the way they're playing, they're free scoring. But Family Cal, really, really not a team to underestimate themselves. One of the toughest teams to play in the Premier League this season. One of the most consistent, one of the most competent teams, I think. Um, they're a little bit off the kind of top six now, which is a bit of a shame. They're seven points off the top six. Uh, but nonetheless, they've been playing well, and I think uh, this is a good result for them. Estrell perhaps would have wanted a bit more from the game, but you know, you're not going to beat everyone. They were, they were. let's not forget, bottom of the table until not long ago. So uh, they'll probably have to take this one. Yeah, I mean, the, the two goal scorers are interesting to me. But, you know, when, you, when, you think, when I think of Famicau and Estrell, I think of their technically gifted tricky players and then you've got uh Cadiz and Cassiano on the score sheet you know two two big lumps up top um but you know like uh, I think um the usual suspects popping up before a guy had a good game he got an assist and hit the woodwork um Gustavo Saar with the assist as well for family cow it's great to see him cementing himself in, the, in that number 10 role um yeah, I, you know, maybe these thing with these two teams could be the January transfer window, right? And see who who, who might get pitched, uh, pinched. There's rumours of a, a Tarbio, the centre back for Family Cal, going to Porto potentially. Rafi Gaitan's been rumoured with Benfica. Um, I mean, it could be even be an argument for Braga to recall Rodrigo Gomez after his performances, but I don't know if that will happen. Um, so yeah, uh, two good teams. Uh, you know. Astro is certainly going to climb up that table still and I think Family Cal you know their ambition should hopefully to be to sort of try and challenge Warren's for that sixth spot and then the opportunity for Europe Absolutely well look let's end the episode and end 2023 with a look at the table after 14 games and the top four uh, as we've just had such an important weekend, we are left with Sporting at the top of the table with 34 points from 14 games. One point behind them uh, with 33 points is Benfica. There's then a two-point gap between Benfica and Porto in third place and a further two-point gap between Porto and Braga in fourth place. So that top four is Sporting, Benfica, Porto, and Braga, although only five points separating those four teams. So still reasonably close uh, with plenty of football to go. Um, there's a little two forming just below that. Fifth and sixth place. Uh, Vittoria on 26. Morens on 25. Both of those teams, you know, three points and four points off the top four. Not too far away at all. A good run of form and maybe a little slip up from one of the teams. Could disrupt that top four a little bit but they've separated themselves from the rest of the pack a bit. There's a seven-point gap between sixth place and seventh place. That's quite interesting to note. Um, this is interesting, Barney. Uh, from seventh down to ninth, you've got Family Cow, Ferenz and Estrella. Ferenz and Estrella, two newly promoted teams who I think perhaps we haven't talked about that much. Perhaps people are overlooking. 
I know Ferenc beat uh, Benfica and Estrella have had their moments, but 18 points, they're all on Famalicao and Ferenc on 18 and Estrella on 16. Then as you move down, you've got Casapia on 16, Boa Vista on 16 in 11th place, Portman ends in 12th place with 15 uh, and Estoril who really got their season together uh, they were once bottom of the table. They're now 13th place with 14 points. Aruka themselves have, have improved performances after a really poor patch of form. They're in 14th place on 13 points. Uh, Rio have struggling somewhat uh, in 15th place with 12 points. And then the bottom three, Gilles Vicente, also on 12 points. Vizela all on 11 points and Shavs on 10 points. So, Barney, some interesting interesting details there. You know, at this point in the season, often we've got one team really cut adrift from the rest of the league down at the bottom. Not really the case this year. There's only sort of two points between the bottom place team and 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 safety. So the relegation battle is going to be really, really fascinating. Some teams getting sucked into that. Gil Vicente and Wayform really letting them down. Uh, seeing them get sucked in. Vizela sacked their manager. They've struggled for points. They've got a new manager now. Can they get out of the relegation places? But I think what's been interesting is to see teams like Aruka um, and newly promoted teams like Forenz and Estrella having strong seasons, meaning, you know, we're seeing a lot of kind of traditional teams that we've become familiar with in the Premier League and in the relegation zone now. So the league is wide open pretty much everywhere in terms of the top four, the race for Europe and the relegation battle. So, it's one of the closest leagues we've had in 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 quite a few years, Bonnie. Yeah, it's been really hard to uh, to predict what's going to happen. Um, teams are very much having waves of form, and and yeah, there's there's been quite a lot of changes as well. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's been a it's been a good season so far, um, and I'm I'm really excited to see what what happens going forward. Absolutely. Well, like we said, this will probably be the last time you hear from us in 2023. So uh, a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all our listeners and a huge thank you for listening to the Lombard Football Podcast in 2023. We'll be back in 2024 to do it all again. Um, in the meantime, if you've enjoyed listening to the show, you can consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. If you really enjoyed listening over the last 12 months or so, even if you're a new listener recently, definitely consider becoming a Longball Football Socio uh, on our Patreon page. Uh, and just a reminder that all our socios get a bonus podcast every week previewing the upcoming fixtures, access to our Patreon Predictions League, uh, which sees prizes won at the end of the season, and of course our monthly watch-along on our Monday Night Football. Um, and it's just £1 a month. So definitely have a look at that and get involved if that's something you're interested in uh, but that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time yes, yes.